Good morning. Uh, it is a good morning. Uh, we, uh, we spring forward, I think that's what they call that last night. Get to lose an hour of sleep. And then I wake up to snow. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, but it is good to be here. I am glad to be here. I, am, I was gone the last two weeks, last two Sundays, I should say, um, on a mission trip to Hungary. And it is good to be not only back in the United States, back at, Cal, um, at Calvary, and back in the pulpit. Um, for those of you that don't know, there's a small team of us that uh, assisted with a conference for missionary families. Um, and uh, we, for those that did know and were praying, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, thank you for praying. Traveling to Europe right now is, uh, is interesting. Uh, to say the least. Uh, it's, a, it's a strange time to, to be in that region, and uh, we were thankful we had uh, for safety and, and for effective ministry. We got to minister to families who were uh, located in um, Hungary, uh, Slovakia, Lithuania, uh, Czech Republic, Romania, and, and Ukraine. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a joy to be able to um, encourage and minister to those who are who are still there. Uh, they didn't get to come back with me. And interestingly enough, they loved their people so much they wouldn't have wanted to. Uh, and it was a joy to see their heart for ministry. Uh, I'm sure the team will get a chance to share specifics at some point in the evening service, but I want to, uh, just want to thank you for praying. I also want to, again, remind you uh, uh, to be praying for Pastor Brett. Um, uh, Dan Haney, as he was praying, uh, prayed for him. I want to con- encourage you to continue to do so. He left uh, this weekend. Um, for Romania, and uh, I believe he's currently in Romania, and he's right now, or at least sometime this morning, I don't know the specifics, but uh, this morning his uh, plan was to meet with um, Ukrainian uh, pastors in Romania and um, to distribute supplies. Uh, we've been able to um, supply for them and to, to bring over to them, and, and so just be praying not only for his safe travels, but that those, those, those gifts uh, would be used well, that they would be effective and um, helpful uh, to uh, the countless people who are in need of, of that assistance. So I'll be praying for him. In fact, let's, uh, let me begin by praying uh, for, for Pastor Brett and, uh, and for our time again this morning. God, thank you that we can gather, that we can be here. Um, even with uh, snow continuing to come down um, and a little less sleep maybe than normal, we thank you that we can be here at Calvary, at church, worshiping your name. I pray that that would be the case, that we wouldn't just be here, but we would actually worship, not just through song, but as we open your word. And I want to pray for Brett as he is not here. Uh, I want to pray for our, our pastor as he has, has left to, um, to go seek and, and uh, those in need of assistance. And I pray that uh, you would allow him to do so, that you would allow him to connect with those, those leaders, uh, that, that to, to put the resources in the right hands and that they would be blessed by it. They'd be encouraged by it. And uh, we pray that in all of these things, God, that you'd be glorified, uh, first and foremost. God, I pray again for our time uh, the rest of this morning, uh, that you, um, for clarity as we go through this passage, for understanding, um, and that we would uh, we seek to apply this passage to our life. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And uh, it's in Luke chapter 15 that uh, we find Jesus hanging out with people who were considered sinners by the religious elite. And so we're all, we're all sinners. Everyone's a sinner. But, but this is a group of people who are identified and they're known by their sin, which gives you an idea the kind of people they are, at least the kind of people 
the Pharisees and the scribes believed them to be. Uh, These sinners were religious outsiders and social outcasts. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were the religious insiders and the social elites. The scribes and Pharisees take notice of Jesus and his interaction associating and eating with these sinners, and they start to complain. And uh, as they complain, Jesus responds by telling three parables. Uh, Three stories, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, uh, more commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. The first two stories follow a similar sequence of events. Something is lost, and then it is found. After it is found, then all the friends and neighbors are called together to rejoice because what was lost has now been found. The third parable is longer than the two before it, and the percentage of loss increases. The shepherd lost one of a hundred of his sheep. The woman lost one out of her ten coins. In our parable, the father loses one of his two sons. And not only does the percentage increase, but the the loss is even more devastating because it is a son. It's not an animal. It's not a coin. It's a person. Like the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, our parable this morning depicts God's joy. God's joy over the salvation of the lost. But while the first two parables emphasize God's part in seeking sinners, this third one goes even further. The parable of the prodigal son focuses more on the human aspect of salvation. We read of a man's rebellion, but also of his repentance. The three parables in this chapter confirm that that Luke understands repentance to involve both divine and human action. In the first two parables, the lost sheep and the the lost coin are passive figures. that are they're, They're diligently sought for by their owners. These parables suggest that the experience of repentance at least in part, is like being found by someone who has been searching with great determination. The first two parables would suggest that repentance has little to do with one's personal decisions. But this third parable, the parable depicting the two sons, gives us a a fuller picture. The third parable in chapter 15 reflects the human side of repentance. However, this parable does not just teach teach us about repentance. In fact, many have said that this parable... uh, it doesn't just teach, about, teach us about repentance. It's, it's the gospel in a nutshell. It shows us that repentance is always possible. It's always possible on this side of heaven. It shows us that God the Father stands ready to forgive. He is eager to forgive. And it shows us that when the lost are found, it is cause for great celebration. It's cause for a party. Well, let's read together in Luke Chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carapods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. 
But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? But I am dying here from hunger. I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. We'll stop there for now. The parable runs through verse 32, but it can be split into three sections. Verses 11 to 19, the the section that we just read, marks the first section, and the main character of this section is the younger son. It's the younger son. The story begins with a request in verse 12. Culturally, this request was disrespectful to the father. This request implied that the younger son wished his father was dead. The younger son wanted his part of the inheritance before his father had died. The younger son clearly looked to sever his relationship with the father. The younger son's request and even more his departure is a highly offensive and culturally unusual act. It's a heartless rejection of the home in which he was born and nurtured. It was a break from his tradition, the tradition of his family, the community. He was ultimately abandoning the people that loved him the most. Another request for the inheritance would have been unusual. That would have certainly been unusual, but, but the father's response is even more unusual. It's, it's even more surprising. He gives his son what he had requested. I mean, of course, a father... It was free to give good gifts to his child, free to give financial gifts to his child. Jesus says as much in in other parts of the Gospels. But this is different. The younger son is impatiently requesting one large and final gift from his father. And surprisingly, unusually, the father receives or responds and gives this gift to his son. And as offensive and unusual as this request would have been, the father fulfills the son's request. Deuteronomy 21 gives us an idea of of how much he was really asking for. We don't know exactly how much, but we know proportionately how much he would have received. Deuteronomy 21.17 tells us that the firstborn gets a double share of the father's inheritance, which means the younger son likely would have received one-third of of the total inheritance, one-third of all the father had, all of his wealth, and the older son would eventually receive twice that amount uh, when, uh, when his father passed away, which means that at this point, everything that is left would eventually go to the older son. And the father agrees. In verse 13, uh, the passage continues by stating, the younger son went on a journey to a distant country, and, and there he squandered his estate in wild living. When Luke writes that he went to a, on a journey to a distant country, he's not describing a young man who, who merely wants to travel and, and see the world. This isn't a vacation. This isn't a temporary uh, a trip or excursion. He took everything that was now his, and having taken it much earlier than he should have, he takes it and he leaves. This is not a vacation. It's not a mission trip. This isn't uh, similar to, to Brett, Pastor Brett leaving for Romania and, and, and coming back and returning. Uh, this is different. He has no intentions of returning is what we're gathering, at least from the fact that he took his inheritance. And so the younger son takes his inheritance, and, and Luke tells us he squanders it. 
The Greek word for squander literally means to scatter. It, it means to scatter. So think of, uh, think of spreading seeds. Um, if you, those of you that farm or, or plant or have a garden or something like that, think of spreading seeds or perhaps spreading salt on your driveway. And, and the fun thing about Michigan is you can do both of those things in the same month. Uh, and uh, spring, I think, is next week, uh, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it. Uh, but think of scattering. Squandering is this idea of scattering. It's in your hand one second, and it falls, it slips through your fingers, and it's gone. It doesn't disappear, but you can't see it. it you know it's there, but it, it's, it's just quickly dispersed and unable to reclaim it. I remember as a child getting money for my birthday and, or for Christmas from certain family members, and as I got old enough, I started to remember how much they gave me on previous birthdays and, and Christmas. So I, I began to expect like a certain amount of money uh, based on, you know, just history and, you know, calculated inflation and, uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, um, but I, I was hoping that maybe they'd give me a little bit more, you know, and so I always, I had, I had an idea of how much money I was going to get or I thought I was going to get, and I began to spend it in my head before it ever even, like, came into my possession. Maybe you, you know what I'm talking about when you, you know money is coming your way and you, you've already, you've already accounted for it. It is going to, it's a matter of seconds that money hits your bank account or hits your hands and it is just, it is gone. Um, I'd like to say I've grown up since then, uh, but uh, saving now is more of a necessity than it is an act of maturity. But, um, but I, know, I know what it means to squander at least some of my wealth, what little wealth I had. And maybe you can relate to some extent, but this, this young man squandered it. He, he, he scattered it. He lost it in a matter, uh, what appears to be a short matter of time, it's gone. He's completely blown his inheritance. And to take ma- make matters worse, there's a famine. The passage tells us it's a severe famine. He already finds himself in a bad situation, and nature makes his bad situation worse. His world is collapsing with no money, no family, and suffering in a distant land. The boy is in trouble. He is about to hit rock bottom. And so uh, we, we get to verse 15, and we see how bad it really gets for him. It says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and, sent, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating. And no one was giving him anything. Jesus' Jewish audience would have immediately recognized that this would have been, this was unclean Gentile territory. If you remember, Luke tells us that he is in a distant country. He is outside of Israel. This is an area occupied by what Jews believed were unclean Gentile people. But not only that, but from a Jewish perspective, pigs were the most unclean of all of the animals. The younger son has found himself at the bottom. He is far from home feeding the unclean pigs, employed by an unclean Gentile farmer, which means he's probably being forced to work on the Sabbath as well. He is, he is so desperate. He's hungry. He's so hungry that he, he wishes he could eat some of the pig food. I don't know about you, but I have never been that hungry. I have never been that hungry. I, I remember in Ecuador, uh, we were being served fish soup in the jungle. And after a few bites, I saw an eyeball float to the top. And just like that, I wasn't hungry anymore. Uh, I, I thought I was hungry, but... Uh, that was, I was not hungry after that. In fact, I, I began to look, and I couldn't find the other eye, and I was worried that I had already eaten it. And so I, th- I think of times when I've been hungry, and I think I have not been that hungry. 
The younger son is at a point where he wants to eat the food of unclean animals belonging to an unclean Gentile farmer in an unfamiliar land. But even that is forbidden. He's not allowed. He can't. And this is presumably because of the famine. The famine was so severe that there's just barely enough for the pigs, and he's merely a hired laborer. He desires to eat the pig food, and sadly enough, he can't even have that. And this is what brings him to his knees. This is what brings his, his desperate situation to its climax. This is what causes the younger son to come to his senses. And so in verse 17, he, he says to himself, at least that's what we're to gather. He has, he's not returned yet, and uh, we're not sure if anyone's listening other than this is just him saying out loud, how many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here from hunger. I will set out and go to my father and will, will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as, as one of your hired laborers. And so he compared himself not to the servants who were, who were like full-time employment for his father, but to his father's temporary help, his, his, his hired laborers. He was comparing himself to, to the, those who were in the similar, are in the same position or a similar position to what he was in here in the distant land. His father would have had men just like him who were temporary hired laborers, and he thought how much better it would be to be one of his father's hired laborers than to, than to be in this foreign land, this faraway country, hungry, broke, and alone. Now, he knows he, that he's forfeited all of his rights to his sonship. He, he's already lost his inheritance. He squandered his estate, but it's better to cast himself on his father's mercy than to remain in a distant land. His only hope was to return home. His only hope was to return home, even though he recognized that his father had every right to disown him, to officially disown him. You see, his father could have performed a standard Jewish ceremony of basically cutting off his wayward son. And essentially, he did that to his father by asking for his inheritance, but his father could have returned by officially, officially cutting him off. If, if it helps, if you're familiar with Fiddler on the Roof, think of the, the youngest daughter. It, it depicts a different time period, but a similar idea. The father had the right to cut him off. But the younger son is at a point where he has zero rights. He has no rights. He has nothing, nothing to his name. He's unworthy of being received as a family member, and so before he heads home, he rehearses his request. He rehearses his request to return as a hired laborer. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. And these verses tell us he's not just hungry. He has been humbled. He has nothing, like the old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. He confesses his sin and recognizes his need for grace. After rehearsing his repentance speech, he decides to go home. And so verse 20 continues. It says, So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet, and, and, and bring the, the fattened calf, slaughter it, 
And let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he, he has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 20 marks the, the beginning of the second section. In the, in the verses I just read, verses 20 to 24, there, there is a shift, and the main character is no longer the younger son. Here our attention turns to the father. The father. The younger son does everything that is expected of a rebellious, irresponsible son. His story, although he's asking for the inheritance, is surprising. His rebellion, not so much. The father, however, does what is unexpected. Once again, not only did he, was it unexpected for him to give his son his inheritance, but it's unexpected on how he responds when his son returns. One scholar points out the shepherd, in his search for the sheep, and the woman, in her search for the coin, do not do anything out of the ordinary beyond what anyone in their place would do. But the actions the father takes in the third story are unique, marvelous, divine actions which have not been done by any father in the past. Here's the contrast with the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. The father did not seek out his son to bring him home. In the other two parables, the shepherd combed the hills to find the lost sheep. The woman swept the floor to look for the lost coin, but the father stayed home. There's a difference between a sheep and a son. There's a difference between a coin and a son. Or better yet, there's a difference between a sheep and a person. A coin and a person. The only way for the shepherd to reclaim his sheep is to go out into the hills and find it. The only way for the woman to recover the coin is to sweep the floor. When we get to the parable of the prodigal son, we're dealing with a human being. Unlike the sheep and the coin, the younger son needed to repent. He needed to repent. And he does. But before he arrives, the father saw him when he was still a long way off. We're given the impression that the father was looking for him. The, the father was, was looking on the horizon, waiting for the day when his son would come home. His father was waiting and hoping for his son's return. I don't know if you've ever uh, ordered anything online, and uh, you, get, you get the the estimated delivery date. And maybe it's something that you've, you're, you're really excited about. You're something, maybe it's a gift. Maybe somebody bought this gift for you, but you know something's coming in the mail, and you find yourself looking out the window for that FedEx truck or the, the Amazon van, or now it's usually just a complete stranger in this personal car. Seems to, <laughs> seems to be dropping off packages. But, um, but you just, you look out the window and you're just, you're waiting. You're, you're, you're in anticipation for this, this, uh, um, for this gift or this, this package. I, I know I've done that. I know my, my kids have done that when my parents tell them, hey, we sent you something in the, you're getting a package. My kids are excited for however many days it takes for that package to arrive. And they just look out the window. Sometimes at hours where there's absolutely no way a, a, a truck is coming. Because there's an eager anticipation for it. Or I think of the airport, and just recently, having traveled recently, spent a time at a lot of different airports, and uh, took our luggage, um, I think, four different countries and in different places. And, and I think of that, that when you're waiting to get your luggage, there, there's like this black hole where the luggage shoots out. And you, you have absolutely zero feelings towards anybody else's luggage. Uh, you know, you see a, if someone else's luggage comes out, it brings you no joy. In fact, the longer it, it takes for other, other people's luggage to come out, the longer you're waiting on your own luggage, the more you are hoping to see your luggage. You're hoping for it. And then finally it comes out, 
hopefully it comes out and you rejoice knowing that you'll not have to wear the same pair of underwear all week or what other circumstances you might be in where you're traveling. But we look for anticipation, whether it's for our luggage, whether it's for a package. You can just imagine a father waiting for his son to return, even though he's been wronged, even though his son uh, dishonored him by taking his inheritance. The father looks for him, and when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran. He ran. The father runs to him. It was considered undignified for an older man to run, but this father doesn't care about his dignity. He cares about his son. His running is unusual, and his compassion is shocking. The father is different than any other earthly father the Pharisees who were listening would have ever been exposed to or been aware of. This would have been unusual, shocking, and unlike the fathers they knew. This man, this father in this story, hikes up his robe and runs to meet his son. And his son begins to speak, saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father continues his unusual behavior. And he interrupts his son's prepared repentance speech. And we know that he interrupts him because, well, he prepared it earlier. We know how it goes. There's more to it, than he, and he doesn't get to it. The father begins to speak. The younger son can't make his request to come back as a servant. He can't make his request to come back as a hired laborer. He has rehearsed it before. He rehearsed his lines, and before he, he gets those words out, the father starts speaking. See, an ordinary father would have interrupted a son's repentance speech, especially a father that had been personally wronged by this son. He would have let him share, the, let him say everything he needed to say, apologize a million times over, and then maybe he'd let that child earn his way back. This father's different. It's different. Not only does he interrupt him, but, but he goes on to interrupt him with, uh, with a command to, to, for his servants to, to go get luxurious things, to get a ring, to get a robe, to get sandals. His interruption is with a blessing. This father is different. The father interrupts and says, bring out the best robe. And this would likely have been the father's own personal robe. He says, bring a ring for his finger. This would likely have been a family signet ring. This would uh, symbolize his reinstatement into the family, to, to sonship. It would be a way for everyone to clearly see, for everyone to clearly see that this, this gentleman was not a hired laborer. He was not an employee. He was a son. He says, bring sandals for his feet. Most servants wouldn't wear sandals, but free people would. It's likely then that these sandals were given to him to indicate that he was a free man. But more than that, he was a son. So before the younger son can make his request to return as a servant, before he can make his request to work as a hired laborer, the father interrupts and the father makes it clear, I will not receive you as a servant. I will not receive you as a hired laborer. You do not need to earn your way into the family. I will receive you as my son. And the father accepted him as a member of the family. Before the son could, could do so much as to fall before him and, and to kiss his feet, the father made it known to the prodigal that he considered him his son. And he says, let's kill the fattened calf and throw a, a party. Let's Let's celebrate. The fattened calf was enough food to feed the entire village. It was for a big party. 
As the, as the shepherd had called his friend and neighbors together to celebrate the finding of the sheep. And as the woman celebrated the recovery of the coin with her friends and neighbors, the father had people, had the people come and celebrate the return of his wayward son. The parable of the prodigal son could have concluded with the words, and they began to celebrate. And that would have been a nice ending. That, that would have been an ideal ending. Like, and then they celebrate, and then it moves on to the next passage. That would have been a great ending. But do you remember how, the, how Jesus introduced the parable in verse 11? Jesus began in verse 11 stating that there was a man who had two sons. If all Jesus wanted to teach us was the possibility of repentance for uh, the rebellious, he could have ended the story here in verse 24. This, this could have been it. This, there's a lot here about God's grace, about his mercy, the importance of repentance. It does not, this is not the end of the story. It does mark the end of the second section, but it is not the end of the story. And so we move to verses 25 to 32, and we have a, the third section and, and a new main character. It's here we find the older son. So let me go ahead and read. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has, has come. Your brother has come and your father has, has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, has, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Jesus introduced the parable by saying there was a man who had two sons. And then Jesus shows us how much this father loved both of those sons. You see, the father's love is evident in his gracious reception of the younger son. Right? That, that, that's clear. This is clearly the father's love and grace and mercy is seen in the reception of the younger son. But the father's love is also evident in his gracious invitation to the older son to come home as well and to join the celebration. In verse 27, the older son learns from a, from a servant that his younger brother has returned. There's a party. Verse 28 continues stating that he became angry because of this. He was not willing to go into the party. And so his father came out and began to plead with him. And once again, the father, right, he leaves the house and he goes to one of his sons. With the same love that received the younger son back, the father extends an invitation pleading for his oldest son to come inside. Rather than experiencing joy for their, his younger brother, the older son is overcome with resentment. Joy and resentment cannot coexist. In verse 29, he says, look, for, 
For so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me a young goat. You never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. The self-righteous older brother saw himself primarily as a servant and not as a son. For so many years, he had been serving his father. Meanwhile, it was the, the younger son that was going to request to be a servant before the father shockingly received him as a son. In their own way, both boys failed at different points to understand the significance of sonship. The older son fails to address his father as father and actually refers to his brother as this son of yours. Scholars believe that this is an offense to the father. It's an offense to the father and it it signals a break in family relations. And so here we we see the older son separate himself from the father very much in, in the same way the younger brother had done earlier. As the prodigal had insulted the father by asking him for the inheritance, the, the older son offended him by staying away from the feast. Some, some even say that uh, the older son would have had the responsibility of being, like, uh, being the uh, master of ceremony, that he would have had a role in the feast. That was his, he had a, a, a prominent role in the feast. And yet it appears he chooses to not even join Even though the older brother offends his father and he doesn't even address him as father or acknowledge his brother as brother, the father still responds in love. Again, this is a shocking response from the father. Verse 31, uh, the, the father says this, Son, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This parable, the parable of the prodigal son, presents us with a father who is lavish and and extravagant in the love expended to both of his children. Both sons acted as if their father's love was conditional. Both thought that they could earn their way into his love. That was clearly not the case. The younger son thought he would have to become a hired laborer and possibly maybe earn his way back into his father's good graces. The older son was, was faithfully obedient and, and clearly thought he, he earned his own party. The older son thought that his faithful obedience should earn him special favor with the father and, and he's left resenting his brother. The younger son confesses his sin and appears to humbly receive the father's grace. The older son is left standing outside with the father, pleading for him to come in. That's the end of the parable. That's how it ends. I think most of us would prefer the story ended in verse 24, where they begin to celebrate after the return of the prodigal son. That would have been such a great ending. And yet, this, this last section leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions. What happened to the older son? Did he ever join the party? Did he accept the father's invitation? Did he finally enter the house and welcome his younger brother back into the family? Did he embrace his brother and celebrate? Did the older son ever confess that he too is a sinner in need of forgiveness? We're just not told how the story ends. We're not given the answers to these questions. We don't know if the older son ever reconciled with his younger brother. You see, this this isn't a fairy tale. 
This is a parable. We're not guaranteed a happy ending to this story. By leaving the story unfinished, Jesus indicated that the door stood wide open. The characters in the parable represent the very people who were listening to Jesus tell the story. Jesus pointed. He's pointed his finger right at the Pharisees through the character of the older brother. As older brothers, they they were criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners and tax collectors. Before Jesus shares these parables, we learn in verse 2 of this same chapter that both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Prodigals were coming home, and Jesus was receiving them and eating with them. Jesus was celebrating that the lost had been found. At the end of the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. There is joy in heaven. But the joy shouldn't only be in heaven. There should be joy on earth when someone repents. The Pharisees should have been celebrating. The Pharisees should have seen Jesus eating with these individuals and not looked at their past rebellion, but looked at their repentance, and they should have celebrated. They should have rejoiced. But they were missing the point. And so Jesus tells these three stories. Jesus, like the Father, comes and invites the Pharisees to the party. We're not told how the older son responded because the Pharisees would have to finish the story for themselves. They would have to decide whether they were going to continue to look to their good works to justify themselves. Remember, the older son says, For so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. The older brother was like the righteous, the self-righteous Pharisees who thought they deserved the party, that they had done no wrong, that they had earned the celebration themselves, and others did not deserve and earn the celebration. The older son looks down on his brother's rebellion instead of celebrating his repentance. The Pharisees, the Pharisees would have to decide whether they were going to celebrate the return of the younger brothers that Jesus was not just associating with, but receiving as sons into the family of God. The story was left unfinished because the Pharisees would have to finish the parable for themselves. To be clear, though, this is not a story that separates the two brothers into the the good one and and the evil one. The father is the only good character in this story. He loves both sons. He he, he comes out of the house to meet both of his sons and to to invite them in to the family. He wants both to know his grace and live as his sons and not as hired servants. He wants both to sit at his table and participate in his joy. The younger brother allows himself to be held in a forgiving embrace. The elder brother stands back, looks at the father's extravagant mercy, and chooses resentment over joy. Like I said before, joy and resentment cannot coexist. Whether you are more like the younger son or the older son, God's only desire is to bring you home. If you have left for a distant land, found yourself far from home, and and, and living in rebellion, God's desire is for you to come home. If you've lived lived a morally upright life, and you've perhaps tried to earn your way to God and find yourself resenting sinners being brought into the family of God, 
Perhaps you feel as though you deserve more for your faithfulness. God desires you to come home. God wants you to know his grace. Before we end, I, I, do, I do want to share uh, three lessons, three kind of takeaways that we can gather from this, this parable real quick. Lesson, lesson one, the first lesson here, comes from the first section. It comes from the younger son. The lesson is that repentance is always possible for those who turn to God. Repentance is always possible for those who, who turn to God. God delights in the repentance of prodigals, but he would, he would prefer that we not have to fall so hard before coming to our senses. Repentance is always possible on this side of heaven. For those of you that have family members or loved ones, don't give up. Don't give up on that wayward child. Don't give up on the, the lost friend that coworker, don't, don't give up on them. And then for those of you who are here this morning, and then in your heart you know, you hear this, this parable and you know you're the prodigal. You know that, that you have, you've left and you need to return. You need to come to the Father. Know that God hasn't given up on you. Like the father in the parable, he is watching and waiting and ready to receive you, ready for you to come home. The second lesson that this parable teaches us comes from the second section where the father takes center stage. God in his infinite love is eager to forgive the sins of both of his sons. His love extends further than the far country. His grace is greater than the unrighteous prodigal and and the self-righteous older brother. His mercy is more than the younger son could possibly imagine, and his mercy is more needed than the older brother realized. Repentance is always possible on this side of heaven, and God is eager to forgive your sins. Like the father watching and waiting for the prodigal to return, he is eager for you to come home. The third lesson, which I'm not going to click this slide, because someone graciously let me know that there was uh, an error (laughs) <laughs> on that slide. I, uh, it's a good humble reminder that um, goofing off my seventh grade English class is continuing to uh, reap consequences. Um, but the third lesson, the third lesson is found in the third section with the older son. The older son's resentment shows us how not to respond to God's grace towards the most wayward of sinners. God cherishes the faithfulness of those who obey his will, but, but he does not want them, he does not want us to despise the rebellious who have repented. It should cause us to celebrate. It should bring us great joy when the lost are found. It is worthy of a celebration. So have you repented of your sins? Have you, have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We deserve death, we deserve hell, but God in his infinite grace has offered the free gift. The free gift of salvation. Salvation is possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. But God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so if you confess with your mouth mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. 
So have you repented of your sins? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? And do you rejoice? Do you celebrate when the lost are found? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you have given us this story in Scripture to show us uh, your, your great mercy, your great your love, your, your loving kindness, Lord, your forgiveness, that you are not like a normal father. This, this picture of a father wasn't just different than th- what they would have thought of when they thought of a father. But for many in this room, this, this picture of a father is, is vastly different than, than maybe our understanding of, of, of a father. And Lord, we thank you that you are a father like no other. We thank you, Lord, that, that your mercy is more. We're about to sing, Lord, and, and, and the lyrics. What, what love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, you count not their sum. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord. And I pray for anyone in here that has not received that mercy. Oh, that they would not leave without knowing what it means to be in the family of God. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.